and welcome to the official first episode of the Black Design Podcast. I'm your host, Sara Jonas, and today's super special guest is a fearless, award-winning, multi-talented design pioneer who graciously let me have her as my first guest. She holds a Master in Communication Design from Pratt, and she's also the owner of a corporate communications design firm that is responsible for some of the most iconic social impact design work. But you may know her best as the lady who shook the design world with her radical thesis essay, Where Are the Black Designers? I mean, the very idea of this podcast is basically in response to her essay. And that's also why I titled today's episode, The Black Designers Are Here. I absolutely wanted her on this podcast. So back in August, I reached out to her and she immediately made herself available. She is that cool. When I contacted her, though, I wanted to continue the conversation that she started 35 years ago with her thesis essay to kind of measure how far we had come since she wrote it. Little did I know we got into a different conversation, (laughs) an introspective conversation about finding oneself first and harnessing that power to make a dent in the industry. Ladies and gentlemen, Cheryl D. Miller. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you for joining me and welcome uh, to the Black Design Podcast. Well, I'm I'm grateful that uh, we're here. Give us an introduction to Cheryl D. Miller in the words of Cheryl D. Miller herself. That's hard for me to do. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm easily Googleable, that's for sure. And um, I've I'm, I'm been um, uh, a graphic designer, corporate communications designer, professionally trained. And uh, all my work is at um, archived now at the Cheryl Miller Collection at Stanford University. And... I began trade publishing uh, in 1987 with Print Magazine, and I guess I'm best known for that advocacy, um, Black Designers Missing in Action. The first uh, article appeared in 1987. Uh, I wrote an update in 2016, and I've written uh, a current one that I'm I'm looking very soon to... um, I'm waiting for them to tell me that it's laid out and on the website and it will be released. And so um, I, I've just been uh, doing design all of my adult life. You're also a writer. You're a minister. You're like the new Renaissance woman. Like you're so many <laughs> things. And can you tell us about the book you're writing now? Or sorry, you have already written and it's out now. Um, um, yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing one now, actually. But um book um, was my memoir. I have a very fascinating um, story and, uh, um, of finding my family and the story of, uh, why they were missing. And, um, so the name of that is Black Coral, uh, C-O-R-A-L. And, um, I wrote that memoir in, it was published in 2013. Uh, and I'm writing one now, um, that I think will be, um, rather unique it it spins off from the fact that um i identified 
my heritage and it led me to, um, I would say my design genealogy and what I claim to be my history of black graphic design. And so um, it's, it also is a historical um, memoir and memoirs are not autobiography or biography. They capture a period of time, um, you know, from one point to the next and important things that have happened. Um, I enjoy doing historical memoir narrative. And so in this space of pandemic and Black Lives Matter, um, it's it's a period of time. And within there, um, I have a story to tell. So we're working on that now. Amazing, amazing. And so before we dive into the deep stuff, because obviously you've already kind of introduced some of what we're going to talk about today. Um I did want to use your um, your 1985 thesis as a starting point because uh, the, part of the reason why this podcast now exists is in response to um, the question that everyone is asking that that originally came from you, where are the black designers? And then today's episode is actually um, titled uh, in response to that, the black designers are here. And I want to have a conversation with you um, today about one you know starting with the the most important uh some of the most important intersection of writing that's been done in history which is your original thesis um where you radically expose the broken pipeline that black designers go through um with the hope to land uh, you know a career of their dreams um but it constantly kind of puts us um in a position outside of important conversations so 35 years later, um, a lot of what you said is still relevant. And though in recent years, we have witnessed a rise in the presence of Blacks in design um, behind the scenes. What do you think has changed in favor of Black designers in the past three decades? Um, and is it a change that is coming from the outside? So a, an institutional change, or is it a change from within and meaning us, like have we made the change happen? Well, I think the the primary change has been within. Mm. Um, and from within, um, the design academic process um, and technology has allowed for the population to grow. Mm. Um, and so I think from within, there are new definitions of design because of technology. There are new practitioners because of asset, access to education. Um, but I don't, I don't believe that access to equity um, is equal to the access by equality. And so mm. after 35 years, um, I don't see more equity, be, equity because of more equality um, and that's problematic until this very moment where um, this perfect storm of pandemic and a heightened awareness of Black Lives Matter, there is what I call a season of reparation that has not occurred since the civil rights movement. Mm. And um, this history is cyclical and we are experiencing, I believe, um, the same type of reparation that I experienced as a younger woman at the assassination of Martin Luther King and the civil rights era. 
So uh, it was a season of complete social unrest, um, the civil rights era uh, for the voting, voting rights acts, a lot of student protests in Vietnam. Um, this type of um, social unrest uh, I haven't seen since the civil rights era. And one of the things that was a response um, to the unrest and to the protests was a season of reparation. And that was a place where um, schools opened up for kids of color, um, uh, Ivy League schools opened up, uh, affirmative action. It was a season of reparation. And um, I find 50 years have passed and we are facing another season of reparation. So there's opportunity for those who are prepared. Uh, you just have to be uh, kind of like you say, woke mm -hmm. and, and watch for these things. And um, I would say don't feel any way about it other than it's a season of reparation. And if you can get an interview, a job, a scholarship, an open door, go through it. Um, and I can't tell you how long that season of reparation um, stays open. But I've lived through this before, and this is a time. Um, so in 35 years, I don't think anything had happened except from within. There were more practitioners trained, more um, because of, of equality. But I can't really say that equity uh, was proportionate to equality. And so um, up until this very moment, I, I just saw growth from within and not a whole lot of growth from without. Okay, in terms of mm -hmm. in terms of gleaning equity um, and advancement in in the career for um, black design professionals, um, that doesn't mean that things weren't happening. But if you look at thirty five years, I think the amount of practitioners have increased more. Um, um, the amount has increased more than um, the uh, mo moving up the ladder, if you will. And so this heightened season of, you know, pandemic and Black Lives Matter and protests and unrest has put um, a season of reparation on the table. And so um, I think those that are prepared will be able to um, experience growth in equity at this time. I think a lot of what's happening right now that wasn't happening before and that can be an advantage is that we're more active in groups as opposed to what you have experienced in your days at the beginning of your career where you were the only person like you in the room. But in a previous conversation that you and I had, you actually revealed that you can turn that into an asset. Like once you become aware that being the only person like you in the room puts you in a unique position, you can actually turn that discomfort into an opportunity. Tell us a little bit about what it was like in the industry um, during the 80s and 90s. What helped you gain this sort of like new perspective and kind of define yourself in that era? Well, I'm not sure if it was a new perspective as much as my perspective. And that is, um, first off, um, I never clustered with with designers. Okay. And so, um, designers were not my network because designers don't provide, um, any access to clients. So, um, the first thing is that I had a very broad business network. All right. I've always had a very large business network and that was not inclusive of, um, a large cadre of designers. So I didn't cluster with 
and I didn't group with. Um, I might have had one or two, but they weren't a relationship where, you know, I would go have dinner with them or see them on the weekend or that kind of thing. Um, or even to bond to talk about and, you know, being like a Slack forum or something like that. No, no, I had, I had no um, interest in clustering with designers um, and networking with designers other than in my advocacy for forums um, with um, AIGA. And um, anytime I was asked to speak, um, but my, 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 my clusters, my networking um, were all um, great business contacts. And um, I, the isolation uh, and whatever I felt as loneliness, I never felt lonely. I'm, I was alone and um, I, you know, I just never let that stuff bother me. I looked at it as, mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I, you know, I, my heart goes out when I read a lot of different posts and, you know, people anguishing about being lonely and isolated. And I'm like, you, you're minus distraction. <laughs> okay. Mm. And that's how I got all this work done. I was minus distraction. So I didn't have time to want to be with people or want to be occupied or grouped or lonely. I, I didn't need anybody to keep me company. <laughs> I had plenty of work to do. Okay. And so I've always been a loner like that because I needed the time. I needed the time. I needed the introspection. I needed the quiet, you know, to develop <clears throat> all the things that people want to know how in the world that I do. I didn't do that hanging around a whole lot of people or having a whole lot of people hang around me. I know that seems very callous, but my network was not artists. My network was all business, um, always on, you know, looking how I could create clients and opportunity uh, for design, um, spending a lot of time um, working out my, my pr- practice and writing. And um, I never, I used it to my advantage, Sarah. It's just, mm. yeah, I use it. So, you know, and that's what it means to be a leader. I don't need these things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean everybody, that's, everybody that's, stopped by my yep. place. I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I look. That's just the way I was. That's the way I handled it. I, you know, being being driven by loneliness, or isolation was a distraction. It ate up my time if I wanted to try to fill that void with something other than what was necessary to make my practice, make business, um, write. Um, I taught. Um, and uh, um, and to create the things that everyone knows me for, you can't do that with a lot of people hanging around. You don't have time for it. True. So, so, <laughs> so honestly, I didn't I didn't need to address uh, isolation and loneliness. It was a good thing for me. I needed quiet time to get a lot of stuff done. Yeah, I got more stuff done than you know as a young woman than most people try to get done in a whole in their whole life. Okay, and so a part of that is I just didn't occupy. Um, trying to feel loneliness and isolation um, with things that could distract me. I've, I've you know, yeah. I've been, I've been really solitaire and focused 
um, with this career of mine. You, you can't you, you can't be distracted if you want to try to overcome these type of obstacles. Absolutely. And I agree with you. And I think, um, but this is, this is what's so brilliant about it for me. And that I think many of us, especially, you know, starting from myself, but including many uh, emerging designers need to hear. Um, that's, that's the brilliant mind of the designer turning a problem into an opportunity, turning a forced situation into, uh, you know, multi-pronged sort well, of uh, opening doors for yourself, well, you have essentially. To, I, think, I think one of the things that grips me when I hear young designers, you, too, too much is put on the experience and the mm. enchantment is too much. And so if you think that this design career is going to fill your greatest hunger and desire, it's not. And so, you know, I had family. What I'm telling you is that trying to make design fill everything that I need was not what I did. You know, I was married, I had family, you know, I had other things in my life and I had a compartment for design and I didn't expect design to do more than what it should do. And it was business. I hear a lot of people wanting the work environment to be more of this and to be more of that. And I'm like, who cares? Go in there and get your go in and get your job done and your paycheck, and and make your life, you know. And so, I think I think a lot of the enchantment comes from the way these design programs are set up. Okay, um, they're, they're set up with a lot of theory, a lot of free open space, and not that it's not real, but it's not real. And so when you kind of get a grip of what the real world is with design, you put it in its place. It's, it's not the end and be all, it's not everything. And I think, I think when I listen to this younger generation and even, you know, I've counseled uh, coaches, coach designers since 1974. And I've mm. always been extremely practical um, that we get woke and realize what this is, is a job. Okay, and the way we're trained with this, you know, with icons and awards and, you know, I mean, this is all nice and this is all good, but. It's less of a lifestyle and then it's more of a business. It, well, I do have a design lifestyle, but when it comes to making money and graphic design, it's 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 completely business. I don't expect graphic design to fulfill um, my life and that's where or it's practitioners to be my friends so I think when we put these things in perspective we might be able to manage a lot of discomfort that we feel mm -hmm. so and then and you actually fed me another cold truth in a previous conversation about you know this this idea of uh, being able to sell yourself, you know, to continue to bring in work. Um, and, and you brought that up because this also helped you kind of move up uh, profession and then become a design entrepreneur, you know, with your own studio. So why do you think it's important to keep in mind uh, that design is a business uh, or at least, you know, part of it is a business and what happens when we kind of uh, forget about that connection, right? And kind of just focus on on the fancy part of it, on, you know, 
this this social ideal that we have about design. You're going to feel lonely and isolated. It's Listen, this is a business-to-business business career. In in a business, if mm-hmm. you're running an entrepreneur, bottom line is you, you deliver. If you're on a job, you get your job done, and you go home. <laughs> you know, and we've made it, we've made it, I, you know, it, it comes from the educational process. It, re- it really does. Mm-hmm. It, it, it fosters this expectation and this enchantment. Um, and that's why when young designers get their first jobs, um, they might feel disenchanted. Or even after a couple of jobs, you find yourself disenchanted. And um, that's because of the expe- expectation that was created in purely an academic and theoretical process. Um, this is strictly business. That's all this is. And when we when yeah. we can kind of get a grip with that, um, then we're going to be uh, far better practitioners in it. And so, you know, I read in these groups, you know, a client made me t- twist and turn and do it this way, do it that way. Can you move it this way? Can you move it that way? I'm like, move it. Don't even be moving. Mm-hmm. Take the paycheck and emotionally go buy something you want. You know, you can't. <laughs> it's just strictly business. And we don't get, we, we don't, we don't glean into that as much as I believe. And we would, we would, yeah, we would um, not experience so much despair. And uh, if we would look at this as perform your job, go home get your work or you you know get your business serve your client go to the bank it, it's it's really and if you want to express yourself do find other areas of your life okay find you know find painting find arts and crafts find your family find your advocacy find your not for profit that you support you know find church find something but your whole world, you're not going to be fed by this experience. And I, I see more and more um, disillusionment is what I call it. It's disillusion. Dis, yeah. Disillusionment is when you find that the truth you thought really is not truthful at all. Okay. Mm. And so mm. I find a lot of disillusionment about what graphic design is about. And it is a business to business service. And if you want to do well with it, um, you have to deliver. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, uh, I think it also affects the way we position ourselves in the workplace. Right. And so um, you gave me some examples last time about, you know, ways that we could sell yourself or like be more aware uh, you know, if we're designers in a corporate environment versus, you know, uh, if we're if we're sole pr- practitioners, um, how can we how can we sell ourselves? How can we be strategic in the work environment to kind of, you know, to just rise in our career and uh, occupy higher positions or um, get more out of the design business? Uh, out of the design business or the business of design? They're two different things. So if you're on a corporate if you're on a corporate job, that that's not necessarily design business. Okay, um, the business of design is in a corporate job. 
Okay. A design business is being entrepreneurial. So which, which way are you looking? I guess it's both, right? Because we have, uh, I mean, some, uh, I've had both in my experience. I've been a, a designer in corporate environment, and then I've had my, uh, my own studio practice um, for the past two years. And I think it's just two very different approaches. But I think one thing that happens very often is that, <laughs> you know, whichever you put, whether you choose one or the other, there's still trouble selling ourselves and kind of positioning ourselves. And I think it goes back to what you were um, saying, you know, adjusting your mindset to understand that, you know, this is, this is, we're not romanticizing this. This is for you to make money, um, you know, as well as enjoy it as a profession. So what are some ways that we can position ourselves within these two different environments um, uh, to put ourselves in a, in a better position strategically. Well, if you're in the corporate environment, okay, it's much different than running a studio and to move up the yeah. ladder in a corporate environment, um, you've got to be extremely strategic. And one of the things that you have to do is be able to read the tea leaves in corporate environment. And, um, Finding management, a management mentor, not a design mentor, a management mentor could be helpful in um, move, moving up a corporate ladder. Um, it's, it's so much more competitive and political in the corporate environment. But um, management, if, you're, if you are... Uh, bonded with a management mentor, that mentor is going to be watching out for you as corporate environments and politics change. So um, that takes a savvy of understanding who to bond with. And it all depends on, uh, you have clients within a corporate setting, okay? And you, you have to really become savvy to watch organizational structure, to watch the different directors and VPs that are moving um, up the ladder. And those are the people that you want to bond with. All right. And some of the distraction is the competitiveness that you might feel in, in your own, you know, shop or work environment with other designers. But the key to that is, is management. Look, looking for management mentors and not necessarily design mentors. So, and that goes back to understanding a corporate structure, you know, with, within a corporation, what creative services the department is reporting to who, okay, and, and up the chain. So you're, you're mentoring, you know, you pick, your, you, you pick your next boss, okay, and a lot of it is, a lot mm -hmm. of it is, looking at the directory, watching people at, at the, in the cafeteria. I mean, you know, it's all business and it sure is not going to come from another designer helping you out. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, also working closely with HR. Okay. And always reading what's, um, you know, available, pay, um, paying attention to newsletters and they, all corporations have these call-ins you know, once a week where, you know, where um, 
make other friends in a corporation and it's not your art department. I'm telling you, art department's coming after you. <laughs> yeah, they're making it politically unbearable for you, okay? You, your, your way out of that is looking at management and bonding with management, you know, learning HR, learning who's, you know, SVP of, you know, looking for the managers over your departments. It means you really have to, you know, pay attention in the cafeteria. <laughs> now, mm -hmm. and making business, yeah. making business is the same. It's the same thing. Okay. So you have to, um, I, I don't, I, I never went around other design firms looking for design work, you know? So a lot of it is really understanding corporate structure and knowing who your client is and constantly marketing and selling yourself and creating, creating, uh, opportunities, you know, creating opportunities. Um, and that's a skill to be able to assess a need and say that you have the solution and you're the only one that has the solution. You got to be able to talk your swag and say, you don't say you're the yeah. only one. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting, like I'm, I'm do, you know, I've done it in everything that I do. It's one of my, one of my, it's one of my gifts. I mean, I don't know what anybody else does. This is one of my lines. I don't know what everybody else does. I only know what I do. I know the, I'm the only one I know that does what I do. That doesn't mean that there are, yeah. it doesn't mean that there are other people. There aren't other people. I don't know anybody. The only thing I know is Cheryl Miller and Cheryl Miller is known to do this. And I'm the only, I'm the only one. I didn't say I was the only one that knows to do this. I'm the only one that I know. <laughs> okay. And that, that yeah. usually kind of works. <laughs> it, do, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, turning that isolation into an asset. If you're the only person in the room, you also have all the opportunity in the world to make that, you know, to turn that into a business relationship. So it definitely goes back to turning, um, you know, sort of like a problem into an opportunity, right? Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that happens with the generation that came after you, or like, I should say the generations that came after you, because um, there is also transition between my generation and um, the younger ones that are coming after me, um, is just this idea of community again. So try to um, you know, find each other in the industry and be able to feel like, uh, you know, uh, united and kind of stronger together, right? Um, this also bleeds into finding inspiration with each other. And so the idea that um, uh, we can contribute to the design conversation as more than just, uh, you know, an, a side dish and become more of the leaders of the conversation, but can we really do that if we, uh, you know, if we're all kind of disjointed, uh, we never get to, you know, see more than one or two of us at a given uh, design event or even corporate function. Uh, if we're feeling like uh, we don't have, um, you know, it kind of affects our confidence and performance. If we're feeling like we don't have anything, we don't have any representation. Um, and that happens also academically in the design world. As we come up as designers, uh, we kind of start feeling weaker because uh, we don't see 
any notions of African design or, um, you know, our personal design DNA being uh, becoming part of the curriculum or the larger conversation in design. And you partially addressed this also in your original essay. Um, and you also have credited your personal cultural background as an empowering element in your professional growth. So I wanted to kind of clarify your perspective on um on, on this idea and expand on the concept, um, do you believe that African design principles don't need to inform the standard and like we're romanticizing design too much? Or is it a matter of, you know, transcending all design standards and creating a new sort of universal visual language? Basically, should our visual and material culture uh, be reserved for our personal growth or does it help in a work environment and should we like keep looking for for that inclusion and representation um you know to serve the greater good well you have to be versatile sarah it's mm -hmm. and you have to be multicultural and multilingual visually um the dominant community can only speak their language. And they have trouble um, speaking any other visual language. And again, um, I don't know whether that's white privileged design or business in America. They don't have to have a global visual language. Uh, and I see it every day in faux pas and things that they mistake. What's happened, I see, is the dominant culture making a lot of visual uh, faux pas, mistakes, because they're yeah. not able to see global perspectives of design. They make, I've never seen so many corporate casualties because dominant cu culture um, Art directors and creative directors are don't seek any other language, and they make mistakes all the time. Um, and so, with that said, I think that the designer that's BIPOC, whichever ethnicity, whichever DNA, whichever language, has to be able to speak as many visual languages as possible. And with that. Um, you know when it's kind of like getting dressed for a party. You kind of know which language to use for which job. And so you've got to be far more versatile and fluent than a white designer ever would have to be. Because when a white designer makes mistakes, so they make mistakes and didn't know the difference between this, that, and the other, okay? Um, we can't make those kinds of mistakes. And so to be able to do... Um, you know, dominant culture work as well as work out of our communities and the ethnicities, you got to be able to do all of it as a, you know, a BIPOC designer. You don't have any choice. Um, it doesn't reverse itself if you're a white designer. White designers, I'm sorry, they have privilege and they're allowed to make mistakes when they mix up names and flags and colors and all kinds of things because they have you know, a lack of diverse awareness to design. 
um, you know, they get away with mistakes. Um, we, we don't have that luxury. So the answer to your question is you got to be a good designer, 360 global. You got to, and that's yep. it. And you can't, you, you can't depend on one particular community or culture, uh, or ethnicity to design for, um, you've, you've got to be able to play your full hand of cards. And that's just, you've got to be competitive with yourself like that to be able to say, wherever you go, you're a good designer and you can compete. And so whatever that, whatever yeah. that takes, you're going to have to do that. Yeah. And then, I mean, including multiple perspectives, it becomes like a, a, a you know, a, a inclusion sandwich, right? Because we bring our own, um, knowledge and cultural background as a tool for exploration and for, uh, you know, for reaching more audiences, and then it automatically makes the work more inclusive. Um, but speaking of uh, personal inspiration and representation, obviously, uh, we have to talk about the work you did for Burger King and United Negro College Fund, because it's some of like the pioneering work done. Yeah, uh, for let, let me cor let me correct you. I I didn't do work for Burger King. I did work for Mac oh, McDonald's. Sorry. McDonald's. McDonald's. Right. Uh, thank you. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, you were doing uh, what they call uh, representation uh, during an era where the battle for the was very intense and like, uh, I mean, probably more intense than it is now in a sense, because the, people were not afraid to just isolate you like uh, openly in a place of work. Uh, and so you kind of bring this definition of timelessness uh, and your style is super recognizable. How can we designers concoct sort of our own magic formula like you did for social impact uh, in an era where there's short attention span and sort of like compulsive imitation and where we seem to have lost the art of detail and critical thinking? Well, um, what has made... Um... I, I think... I'll a lot of it has to do with really embracing design aesthetic and theory. I think one of the things that I see um, is that there's so much te technology available that I don't see distinctive design. I see good design, but mm -hmm. everybody has the same skew. Everybody has the same color palette. Everybody had, okay, so everybody's got the same app and all the work uh, so for an example, I see a lot of this animate character work. All the characters look alike. Okay. And it, you know, was it one program, one or two programs? Um, and so your choices for, you know, what eyes are, faces are, I, you know, that's not my discipline. I, it's just a place where I see all the characters look alike. Okay. And I, I lean it into the accessibility to apps and technology and everybody's using, you know, the same click. And so with that, um, you're, you are designing with what the potential and the capacity of what a program can do, um, instead of, um, digging in and creating your theory and pushing the technology to do what you want it to do. And so that's where I see 
uh, some of the challenge that the work all has the same kind of feeling because everybody's using the same Adobe solutions. But these things are only as good as the theory and the aesthetic that you create. And, and that's, you know, I had, I had the rare opportunity of interviewing Paul Rand. That was one of the things that I used to do is look about New York and um, go see designers and ask questions and take interviews. And I met Paul Rand maybe four days, four years before he passed away. And he invited me to his home and I interviewed him. Um, and he was really kind of frustrated. This was 1994. Uh, he, he was he was frustrated because he felt that the design aesthetic was being lost um, because of computers and technology. And um, I kind of uh, kind of agree with him um, now that I, I look at it and I can see the scope, you know, having the ability to create a distinctive style, and to be known for that style and then to be chosen for that style. Um, that's like when you know a Chanel dress or a Gucci scarf or yep. a, a Burberry pattern or, or you know, um, you know what it looks like. And so what drives that? Is, is it the aesthetic or is it the technology? And until we do a lot more design thinking and planning before we get to the computer and make the computer do what we want versus um, doing what the computer wants. That's where, you know, that's where you're really digging into yourself to, to come up with style and being able um, to create advantage by style. My, my work is distinctive and no matter what the program if I were practicing today, I use the same, you know, I have a, I have a system that I created. And so within that, um, yeah. I create, I created the Cheryl Miller aesthetic. Okay. Which has, has some yeah. basic principles. Um, and I made basic principles and rules and I followed them. Thus the consistency of the, the look of my work. Um, and I don't get all excited about all the things a computer program or an app can do. Yeah. 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 And uh, to me, that's super important because um, I mean, definitely that's you're establishing replicable models um, and recognizable work. And, and that helps uh, greatly with your portfolio. Um, but it's also like you create work that's unique. Um, and, and to me, that's sort of like, again, like as, as you also noticed, uh, we lack a lot of like uniqueness uh, in this uh, day and age. So we see an increase of like uh, self, self-taught designers and at the same time, a decrease in quality, execution and depth of the work. It's almost like they're in a hurry to just create content uh, for digital platforms and like have instant portfolios. Uh, but there is less focus on learning and practicing and there's more sort of like self-proclaimed experts <laughs> coming up so you know one where is this going because <laughs> uh even leaving a margin for the new technology 
uh, to play a role in this change? Uh, how important is it to get informal, uh, to get formal design education in 2020 and beyond? And what should we want to see in a design curricula of now and the well, future? Well, I can only say that for a designer of color, I don't think you have the luxury of being self-taught. Okay, that's... <laughs> I mean, really, because if you're standing, you know, to the left and to the right, um, and you're, you're, you're on a rocket line, all right, and you got two people, um, the portfolios, let's say they're equal, and one's got a degree from Yale, they're, they're going to hire the one with the degree. We don't have the luxury of just being self-taught if you want to be competitive. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, you you're going to eventually yeah. lose, and you get what you pay for. People will. I mean, when you go to the doctor, look at this. Listen, you mm -hmm. go to the doctor for the first time, and you sit in an office. If it's a dentist, a dermatologist, internist, what do you do when? What's the first thing you do when you sit in the office? Don't you look on a wall? Don't yeah. you look for what school they went to? That that's that credentials. You, when you yeah. when you come out of the lobby and you go into the doctor's office for your first intro, okay, ma'am, what's the matter? Blah 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 blah. Okay, they sit you down, and what's the first thing you do? You look on the wall. Yeah, I don't know anybody that walks into a brand new doctor's office and doesn't look. Okay, now where'd you go to school? Where was your residency? It's all on a wall. And so that's the place of, um, and when you're of color, unfortunately, we have to have wallpaper. <laughs> okay. We have to have um, wallpaper mm. to compete with somebody that's just got, you know, one, one degree of certificate. But if you have nothing, you don't stand a chance. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything other than you, in some places you disqualify yourself because you don't have the education. That doesn't mean that you mm. can't design. That doesn't mean an education is going to teach you to design. What it means is you're not qualified in some, in some arenas. Okay. And that's just it. And I don't think that a design, we have enough disadvantage <laughs> we have yeah, enough to absolutely spend. absolutely okay but also it does impact like the economy of design right the salaries and like how we're perceived uh as a whole demographic at, at some point because if the work we're producing is subpar just because we are so eager to just put something out there without Look, having learned listen you get what you pay for my dear. you get mm -hmm, what you pay for mm -hmm. There's, that's just business. You get what you pay for. And inevitably, the one who, you know, is not trained will always, a client will get the experience of, oh, my God, I'm getting what I'm paid for. And then you, there's no shortcut. You're going to have to turn around and find an expert yeah. to straighten out something that could have been done right the first time. So, exactly. um I can only tell you it's it's a simple mantra. You get what you pay for. And it's not about if you can get away with it and make a living, then that's what it's going to be. Yep. So 
what do you think uh, we should want to see, uh, you know, in the curricula of the now and the near future uh, as design students? Well, I think that that it just needs to be more inclusive. All right, that just this Anglo-Eurocentric, um, Swiss-European stuff. I mean, it's it's a good system to make sure you can organize things. Um, but there's so many other things to add and subtract from that, that um, the demand now is to decolonize and to open up. I don't say you throw it away. You, you just have to open up your blinders and put more, more content in. You have to put more, more visual yeah. language and content in. Yeah. All right. And, yep. And, yep. and broaden the canon. Okay. Hmm. Because yeah, you just have to broaden it. I don't say do away with it. It has to be, it has to be broadened. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, well, I saved the best for last. I want to talk about where uh, people can find you. We're going to have links up on the website, uh, but I want it from you. Like, where are the top links? Where, where should we go to find out about you immediately right after this interview? Uh, LinkedIn is the best place. I usually um, let people um, find me there. You can message me. Um, and depending on what you want, um, I, I respond to my LinkedIn messages. That's, that's probably the quickest and best place to find me. Um, I, I entertain academicians, practitioners, um, anybody who's under the sound of my voice that is interested in what I'm sharing. The best place is LinkedIn. And you are so graceful and generous. I am honestly out of words to thank you for um, your presence today. And really quickly before you leave us today, can we go over your design 101? That's our uh, top five advice from uh, today's conversation that you want to give our listeners. Um, let's see. Um, you've got to find your unique gift and in finding that unique gift um one of the things that made my practice practice successful is i was able to assess a need and when i could assess a need i knew how to fill it and that's what i focused on telling my clients you have this need and i don't know about anybody else but i'm the only one i know that can fill it and I said that all the time. I'm the only one I know that can fill it. I don't know anybody else. Maybe mm -hmm. if you find a couple other people, you can compare. But I, mm -hmm. you know, really finding your unique gift and using it to fill the need that you see, you're always going to be the only one. Okay. And you've got to learn. You've got to, okay. you've got to find that. Everybody has a gift. You've got to find it. And, um, use it to supply a need that you see and charge for it. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Um, and I think that you've got to broaden your network and the network should be predominantly um, business 
and young young MBA groups. Um, you know, all of the all of the uh, ethnic groups have business groups now. So Asian MBA, Latinx MBA, Black MBA. Mm -hmm. Okay, your executive, your young executives, where they congregate is you'll be the only one they're doing. That's what's so exciting is when you cross over to LinkedIn professional corporate spaces where the, they're bonding and having LinkedIn's and Zooms and all of this. Um, and in New York or wherever, uh, business meetings and that kind of thing. This is where you meet clients and you'll be the only one. I mean, I'm good. I don't know yeah. what to tell you, but I would go out to a business event or um, a lot of times these award banquets and so forth. I, you know, you get your, you get your, your, your pamphlet, your booklet, you see who are the sponsors um, and you work a room. I wouldn't go just to eat the chicken and the salmon. I would go work a room. <laughs> yep. And they're now adapting those for um, COVID. So you find the same thing online, just look for it. Oh, it's, 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 it's fluid right now online. Okay. Mm -hmm. So going, going to the free zoom events, all of the major corporations and, you know, um, women in business, you, you name it, um, in, in business network, LinkedIn, zoom events, um, they are, they're fluid. And so you should be there meeting people. You should be there, um, making comments and this is a great time to build a network. You just have to know where to go. And it's definitely in the young professional zoom groups. It's not in design groups, not a one, yep. not a one. So if you see, a, a, you know, I hate to say it, but the black community is very big with design and inclusion. If you see a design inclusion zoom and it's free, go. Mm -hmm. and meet, meet the participants, meet the panelists, link with them after, um, and sell what you have. It fooling around with designers yep. is not going to make you money. That, I'm, I hate to be blunt about it, but we like the real, give it to us. <laughs> yeah. You know, the yep. only, the only reason that I would ever hang around designers is to see who I would hire next. That, that puts me in charge, puts me in leadership. The only way that I would entertain any community of designers is either I'm portfolio reviewing, I'm canvassing to see who's there, I can use talent, okay? But it sure wasn't hanging around with them because I was lonely or felt isolated uh -huh. or I wanted to be in a network or I expected them to give me work. Uh -huh. Okay, the only time I hung around even more than a handful was in, in advocacy forums with AIGA um, to, to be involved with the advocacy that I've been involved in. So, you know, we would go to present and do forum work and that kind of thing. But it, it, it wasn't because I needed to be entertained. Yep. I, all, all I ever think is design business. That's it. Take notes. Think business. Uh, yeah. No, no business. And 
when you can kind of get really clear that this is about, this is a business to business service, then a lot of things you don't mind. You know, I don't, I don't mind people not bothering me. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got things to do. If I have, you know, I have things to do. I can't, you yeah, lose focus. especially now. Me, me time is a big one. We can start practicing now. Yeah, you lose focus. You, yeah. yeah, you're distracted, you know. And so mm -hmm. it takes it takes focus to be critical. And critical meaning yep. to think about things and to set goals and you know to achieve them. It your day has yep. to be structured. And then when your day is over, then you relax and you know, go find, go find your friendships and relationships in other places. Listen, I, yep. I'm not very collaborative like that. <laughs> the design practice for the most part, sooner or later, though, you have to find pockets ex for yourself and you're make one, it work. Ex it's collaborative unless you are the one that is managing the project and the invoice has your name on it and they're sending you the check. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Then it's a whole there's different no story. Listen, my dear, there's no collaboration in that. <laughs> there's no collaboration yep. in that. The check, the check that comes will have your name and it will go to your bank account. That's the place where you want to be. There's no collaboration in that. There's no collaboration in that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Okay, yep. the power is in the invoice and the check, the name on the check, and the bank, the business bank account that that check will be deposited in. That puts you in the seat. And there's no collaboration yep. in that. That's, yep. that's clear. <laughs> that's business. Collaboration <laughs> and all that talk, that's, that's school academic talk. Okay. And yep. that's, that's team talk, that's design and blah, 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 big studio talk. But you best better believe the check is not coming to the group. The check, the, nope. the, the bank account <laughs> is not in the group's name. So it's in the boss's name. It's in the name. boss's name. There you go. Yep. So unique gift, find your unique gift, network, network, network. Think and no business. We got two more to go. Two more tips. Oh, you want two more tips? Two more. We got three. We need five. Oh, need five. Okay. <laughs> Your top yeah. five. Um, keep finding a way out of no way. Accept, accept mm. rejection. So what? Ooh. So what? People crumble after a couple of no's. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, and I say no, and and next. Mm -hmm. You have no, I mean, That's you, a big you have one. no idea how many no's I get over a lifetime. Fifty years of no's. I could not imagine ever. <laughs> no's, no's, it's impossible, right? And, but, and, and yeah. after no, how many pairs of shoes? How many pairs of shoes can you wear at once? You're only looking for one yes. You're only looking for one pair of yeah. shoes that will fit. Mm. And so when you kind of look at that, that is true. you don't crumble at how many no's you get. You know, it's like, yeah, and bring it on. Yeah, and mm. all I, every day I'm like, okay, I'm just looking for, I'm lo just looking for the one yes. How many pairs of shoes? 
How many mm-hmm. pairs of shoes can I try on? How many of them can I wear at once? I can only wear one at a time. One pair of shoes at a time, which means I'm only looking, I'm only looking for one yes. And I can't, I can't cave in at all of the no's. No's and rejection, that's it. It goes with the turf. And you're talking, you're, you, you know, I might be tough, but you're talking to a New York designer. I love it. I'm a New York designer. Lay I it on it. us. We need to hear this. I'm a New York designer. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, thank God I'm not a New York designer with pandemic yeah. right now, but. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You don't want to be one of those. No. <laughs> uh, so and, so and ignore the nose. Tip? Ignore it. Ignore it. Ignore it. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is looking for one yes. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Just when you get a no, just stand up, brush off and. Keep going. You got to keep going. You cannot crumble with this. Yep. And your final tip. Don't tell. (laughs) Don't tell everybody everything you know. Nice. I like that one. (laughs) Don't tell everybody everything you know. Don't give away your game. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Listen carefully. Don't tell everybody everything you know, but tell them everything they know. Ooh. That's yeah, that is. So I might inform you, tell you everything you know, but I'm not going to tell you everything I know. Wait, oh, I know that's competition. So I'm a yeah. I'll empower you. I'll I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything you know, but that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you everything I know. Leave something for yourself, and and don't give away your secret to Coca Cola, unless you're through making Coca Cola. You're finished. You know. Mm. So I, you know so. You know, I tell folks everything they know all the time. I have a whole list of folks. Oh, yeah. Miss Miller taught me this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yep, that's right. Oh, but I didn't teach them everything I know. <laughs> that's right. That's a big one. That's going to be one of the most shared quotes from this episode. But that's a big one. That's a boss move. <laughs> that's, you um, say that's a boss move? Oh, my that's goodness. a boss move? Yep. That is definitely a boss move. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Thank I, you so I, much I'm sure for you didn't your expect time. That one, but you kept pushing me for two more. I, but you know <laughs> what? I, I expect this and more from you because apparently you're the queen of keeping it real and I'm loving yeah, it. Yeah, I do. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a straight talker yep. with this. I, 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 yes. I, want us to th- I want us to be more assertive, which is different than aggressive. I would like to see yep. us... Um, come out of la la land and mm. um you know toughen up and compete go go get it there's yeah. there's a lot and right now this reparation season you better get you better get what you want right now this is it right this is it mm. right now this is it right now so you got to compete yeah i love yeah. it Survival i love it i love fittest. it all this is go get it and we're ready. We're ready. Like I said, the black designers are here. Yeah. And this is um, Cheryl D. Miller with us today as our first guest. Incredibly lucky to have access to your wisdom and your presence. Thank you, Queen. <laughs> and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Listen, I'll take it. I've earned it. You know, Lord of mercy. That's <laughs> right. That's right. You see, this is a type of confidence that we need to exude. Oh. When we go for the kill, yeah, yeah, yes. you, you, we need to embody yeah, this. this. No, you know, this is no, you look straight in the eye. This is not the place to blink. 
Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, there. oh no blinking here. Okay. That, that, that's not going to happen. You you won't get anywhere if you stand stand eye to eye, toe to toe and blink. No. Guys, I'm sorry. I mean, take notes while you can. This is the level of greatness that lives in our communities. <laughs> our very own Cheryl D. Miller. And you listen. You. <laughs> well, all I can say is, um, yeah, just kind of watch me in the days ahead. I'm still, I'm still at it. Okay. So with that said, with yep. that said, thank you. Call me anytime and, um, you know, um, be blessed and use this season to prosper yourselves. Really. You have to, cause I, you just don't know when it's going to come again. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> do what you got to do. Do what you got to do and be All the best right. at it. Okay. That's it. We sure okay, will. Love. And we're out for today. Thank All right, take you. Care now. Black Design Podcast is part of the Black Design Space Project. You can find us on our website at theblackdesign.space or you can follow us on Instagram at theblackdesignspace.